If you turn your Bibles to Matthew 18, we'll spend a little time there, but we'll be moving around. But how many of you realize that God does not want us to live defeated lives? He does not want us to live defeated lives. He wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to be overcomers. Uh, but too often, I, I, I think that we, we have, uh, what I would say, a plan A for our lives. You know, we have this plan for our lives. And, and I don't know about you, when I'm making plans, it does not include trials. I don't plan for trials. I don't plan for bad things to happen. But they do. But we have a plan. We make a plan where maybe you're young and you have, you get asked this, right, when you're a child, you get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you may, and if you're a girl, you probably, I, I don't, I'm not a girl, but I've heard that you plan your ideal wedding and you got all these plans. Uh, then what happens when they don't come, when those things don't happen? There may be a serious trial, a serious hardship or serious thing comes across crossed your life do we go to plan b or did god always have a plan for us now i don't believe he had necessarily a specific plan for us but he has told us to expect trials to expect hardships and he wants us to be overcomers he does not want us to live defeated lives so part of tonight's lesson the majority of it is going to be talking about how to be an overcomer how you don't have to live a defeated life. And, uh, but you ever look around and say, boy, this is not a good practice and we should never do this, but you look around and say, you don't know what I've been through. This person seemed to have it so easy. They never went through the serious things I've gone through. I remember when I was a kid, this happened to me, but it didn't happen to them. So they got a great life and I'm miserable. So we use that as an excuse because of the things that happened to us. But God does not want us to live as victims. He wants us to live through the victor, Jesus Christ, and to have victory in our lives. But too often we accept defeat, we wallow around in defeat because of what has happened to us in our lives. Now turn to Matthew chapter 18. How many have watched the last two Wednesday night services? Okay, not everybody. So I'm going to review real quickly what those were because we're going to build upon that. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're looking at verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as I come before your throne tonight, Lord, I know and believe that you are good. 
I believe that you love each one of your children. Lord, I believe you're holy. I believe you're all-powerful. Nothing that goes beyond your eyes, Lord. I believe you see the evil in this world and you know about it, Lord. And it grieves you. Lord, I also know that you gave us a path to victory through your Son, Lord. You gave us the hope of eternal life. We look forward to that day, Lord, that you return for us, Lord. We'll be captured in the air with you. Lord, in the meantime, we know that you have a purpose for us and you left us behind. We know that we'll face difficulty, hardships, some real hard trials at times. Lord, as we look at your word tonight, I pray, Lord, that you would guide my lips. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in the last two Wednesdays, we looked at this scripture here. Okay, you had the disciples, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, they had this argument, and they, and they met with Jesus, and Jesus tells them, except ye come as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, a little child is completely dependent upon those uh, in authority over them. So we go to Christ, we go to God completely dependent on Him for salvation. We're helpless, we're beggars, we need His help, we can do nothing to save ourselves, so we come to Him as children completely dependent upon Him. So, he offers salvation so we can so there's a principle of the child likeness of the believer the child likeness of the believer no matter when you get saved whether you are 5 years old 20 years old 60 years old it doesn't matter you come as a little child totally dependent upon Christ for salvation and from there you're a babe in Christ and you begin to grow okay he goes on to say, Whosoever thou shalt humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe what he was trying to teach the disciples is humility. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Humility is what's valued in heaven because we are all so dependent upon God for everything. pastor said this morning, the very breath we take, we're dependent upon God. And I think salvation helps us realize just how dependent we are upon God. So he says, Whosoever there shall, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, Whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And this is the principle number two that we see in this scripture, is that uh, you cannot separate the believer from Christ. We are in Christ and He is in us. You cannot separate the believer from Christ. So He is telling us that how you treat other believers is how you treat me. How you treat other believers is how you treat me. So what we do to God's people is what we're doing to Christ. And that's a principle you can see throughout all the Bible. The children of Israel, how Israel, how nations dealt with Israel and God's children was how God dealt with 
He says, that's how you're dealing with me. That's how you're treating me. So is this principle of, of, the, of us in Christ and Christ in us, you cannot separate the believer. And what is done to God's children is done to Jesus himself. But then there's a the warning. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. That word offend there is to become a stumbling block. To lay a, a, a trap to cause one to fall. And he's talking about this little children, not necessarily an eight-year-old, but that one that comes to Christ as a child, as dependent upon God. He says, whoever offends one of these, okay, or, lays a stu- or becomes a stumbling block to one of these, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's a pretty stark warning. Well, a millstone is, can weigh anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 pounds, maybe more. How many went to see uh, the C.C. Samson at Branson when we went and watched that? A few of you? Well, for those of you that went, you saw Samson pushing this huge millstone around. That's a millstone. It was huge. And that's what we're talking about. So he's saying, whoever offends one of these or causes one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better that a millstone, a ton, is tied around your neck, you're taken out to the sea and dropped. Saying you're better off dead. That's what he's saying. You're useless to God. And what we do to God's people he says, you're doing to me. And also, you can apply that to who you do not receive that is uh, one of God's children. You refuse to fellowship and spend time with them. He said, you're refusing to fellowship with me as well. So, the, the, so Christ in us, us, you cannot separate the believer from Christ. So we have this warning about not being in a stuff. What are we supposed to do? God... Or, Pastor talked this morning about our purpose of being left behind here. We have this ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to be leading people to God, not away from God. But are we doing that? There's many ways we can be a stumbling block. It's just not the serious things. It could be the little things that we talk about and do that are leading people away from God. And we become stumbling blocks. But tonight we're going to talk about those big things that happen to us, okay? And how to be an overcomer. So, Satan is a great abuser. He has power. He has authority. But he uses that in a rebellious war against God. He hates God. So, he was an angel created a beautiful angel, the Bible says. But yet he took that and rebelled against God, and he has abused what God gave him in a war against God. He has no regard for the well-being of any created thing or being. Satan is motivated by pride and hating God. He's motivated by pride and hating God. He uses his power and authority to abuse those created in God's image. 
He wants to lead us away from God. And he does not care who he destroys along the way. We see the farther that our nation and our world slips away from God, we see greater satanic activity in this world. We see destruction everywhere. We see all kinds of abuse everywhere. So he will manipulate, he will lie, he will entice, he will make false promises, and then move on to the next victim once that one is destroyed. Why? Because he got what he wanted. That's what Satan does. That's also what abusers do. But we're going to talk about being an overcomer because that's what God wants us to be, no matter what has happened to you in your life. And some of us have had some serious things happen. But God doesn't want us to wall. He wants us to know something. He wants us to know them. So there's four things I believe God wants us to know as a child of God. He wants us to know them. Pastor touched on some of these this morning, and we're going to expound upon that a little further tonight. But the first thing he wants us to know as a child of God is this. Know that God is for you and not against you. Do you know that? Do you know that God is for you? He is not against you. Have you ever wrestled with that, though? Something happens. How could God allow that to happen? The big question, why does God allow bad things to happen? You could stop there, but some say to good people. Some of us probably could answer that question, but you may struggle, though, when it happens to the most vulnerable in the world. How can that possibly God allow this to happen? The Bible has his answers. He wants us, God wants us to know something. He wants to know what he's doing in this world. Why do horrible things like abuse happen? How does God allow such things? An atheist says, God is either not all powerful or not all good, or otherwise these things would not happen. By the way, our young people are getting bombarded with these questions at a younger and younger and younger age. Have we equipped them with answers to deal with it? Used to be, you could wait, college is where they got bombarded with these kind of questions. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not in grade school. Are we equipping young people to answer, have an answer for these questions? We need answers. There are answers, okay? It is not a secret that we can't understand. Answers must be found, though, from God's Word. you got a purpose in your heart. Even if you don't understand, you're going to know that the answer is in God's Word. That's where we find it. Even if I don't understand it, I know that's where i got to go, and I'll keep going, and I'll keep going, and I'll keep going until the light comes on and I do understand. You pray, God, show me. Pray, I'm not going to go another way. I'm not going to go to plan B. Plan B, our plan A should always be, this is going to be my guide, the word, no matter what happens, this is going to be where I find answers. It's not going to be the world. So here's some answers. God created the world and it was good. We all know that, right? Hopefully, as a Christian, but what do you learn in school? Where did death and suffering come from? It's always been here. 
Okay? But we learn from God's word that God created this and the world was good. But we look around, we say it's not good. What do you mean it's good? There's death, there's suffering, there's all kinds of things happening. This is not good, is it? No. Why? We do not live today in the world the way God created it. Something happened. Man rebelled, aided by deception from Satan, leading to a curse on the world, death and suffering, separation from God. So death and suffering, the reason why our bodies are dying is because the curse that is on this world today. The Christian today, and pastor said this this morning, is living in a foreign land full of enemies. Okay, we've had many wars this country, and we take soldiers and we drop them off in a foreign land. Now, are they walking around? Boy, just here's my plan. I'm going to have a good old time. With, I'm going to sit in my chair and just relax. And No, they've they got their weapons. They're on guard because they know they're in a war. But I think as Christians, we underestimate or don't even understand we're in a war. We're in a foreign land. This is not our home. And that's not just a, a, a metaphor or an analogy. I get confused those two, but... We are not from here. Once God saved us, he set us in heavenly places. Our heart and affection is for heaven. That's our home. That's what we long for. That's what we look forward to. But he left here, us here with a purpose as his, to do his work. God did not save us to have our best life now. This is not a self-help book. This is a war manual Okay, this is how you conduct spiritual warfare. This is not, let me go here to see how to make my life better. How, that is not what it is for. It is to inform us of the battle we are in and how we can be victorious. Understand this as well. God does not govern the world the same as he always has. God governs the world different ways in different times, okay? He was revealed more to us over time. We know more today than Job did. How much did Job know? How much of the Bible did Job have? Zero. It wasn't written. We have more than the disciples had. They didn't have the New Testament. Read the writings of Paul. He says, according to the revelation given to me, things that were not known are now known. There's things that we know that have been revealed. So God is revealing himself in different things at different times. Okay? For instance, this is not the Garden of Eden where man was innocent. This is not the Garden of Eden. If you read the first couple chapters, we're not living in that time. Okay? This is not a time where man lived guided only by his conscience. Okay, that happened after them. Where man was left to live by his conscience. What did he do? Nothing but evil, enough but evil thoughts. Then how did that end? Flood, right? We don't live in that time either. But God did promise to never bring a flood again. This is not the time of Noah. 
where we are called to scatter and populate the world, forming the nations with human government, governance, okay, which they failed at that, so God had to do it. This is not the time where God was creating a nation separated unto himself via a promise made to a man named Abraham. We don't live in that time. This is not a time where God was working primarily through a nation with laws whereby blessing and cursings were distributed by the keeping of a covenant. That's not the time we live in either. We are living in, however, we are living in a time where believers are under grace within a body of believers called the church of which Jesus is the head and whereby God is primarily doing his work. He's doing his work through the church, not through Israel. You say, Brandon, this is confusing. Why are you saying this? Because it helps us to understand what's going on in the world. This is not a time where we can just, just, just give me a, my daily bread. Just give me a few verses. We need more than that. We need the meat. We need to know what's going on. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Were they indwelt by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? No. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would come upon them. But we have something they did not have. We have the Holy Spirit. It was a promise made to Abraham to bless all the nations. And when, after Christ and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. We have the Holy Spirit. Wow, that ought to make you go, wow. That's the time we live in where believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not under the law, but under grace. What does that mean? Don't have time to go through that. It's time where God is showing long-suffering and patience. Why did he kill people in the Old Testament? Well, he's showing long-suffering and patience today. There was something else he was doing then. He's not willing that any should perish. There will be a time that the church is raptured and the world will go through a seven-year tribulation judgment. We don't live in that time right now. That's future. That's what's coming. And it will be bad. And there we wonder, what happened? The Holy Spirit's gone. What's going on? Man has nothing to live by but his own conscience again. It's going to be terrible. Satan will... Have free reign. By the way, this won't happen until there is a great falling away. There will be a great falling away. Then we'll see the rapture. And then the seven-year tribulation. But what leads to apostasy? I believe this. Christians becoming more of stumbling blocks than leading people to the path of righteousness. False gospels and by not equipping believers, young believers with answers. So they give up and they leave the church. There will be a time that Satan is bound and Christ will return to reign a thousand years. That's future. That's called the millennial period. That time, Christ has come. He set up his kingdom on earth. He's ruling on earth out of Jerusalem. Satan is bound. We don't live in that time. Satan's not bound right now. He's very active. 
we got to know that. There will be a time that Satan is loosed at the end of the millennial period. But eventually, he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. Wow. But that's not yet happened. There will be a new heaven and earth that born-again believers will dwell. And there will be no more sin, death, or suffering. But the problem here is this. We think, God, uh, this ought to be heaven now. And it's not. Because heaven is our destination. Heaven is our home. And God has left us here in a battlefield where Satan is the ruler of this world. Okay? He's the dictator. You don't get these answers from a casual reading of God's Word. We've got to get serious about it. How do I know this? I had the same questions at one time. Been saved for a while, bunch of trials. Bam, 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 all at once. What in the world is going on? Guess what? You think Satan plays fair? That's when he hits you with all the questions. God's not good. Here's all. How'd this happen? With all these things going on, I had to make a choice. I'm either going to run from God or I'm going to say, I've got to get into God's Word if I'm going to understand. I said, you know what? I got into God's Word. And it wasn't easy. It took a long time. But then things started to click. I began to have answers when Satan comes and says this. I said, no, that's not true. God says this. Wait, God, Satan twists God's Word. If you've experienced a tremendous trauma in your life, I'm sure you've experienced those questions. Did you have the answers? A church is a place that should be preaching the whole counsel of God's Word. I'm thankful the pastor's been faithful to that. But are we listening? Are we listening? Are you taking advantage of every opportunity to soak in God's Word? Because otherwise, you're so susceptible to the lies of the devil. So, number one, do you know that God is for you? Are you convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that God is for you? He is. Romans 8, 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justify. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yet rather, that is risen, who is even the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Do you believe that? That Christ is interceding on our behalf? It's true. So number one to be an overcomer is you've got to know God's for you. You've got to know beyond a reasonable doubt, God is for you. You see all these terrible things, they happen to you, God is still for you. Number two, know the difference between your conscience and the voice of God. Okay, your conscience. Everybody's got one whether you're saved or not. 
You may say, what about the psychopaths? Okay. I believe they still have a conscience, but it's been so warped and seared and that they don't, they just, there's that problem. But here's a problem when you've suffered serious things happen to you. Your conscience, all of our consciences get shaped as we grow up. They get shaped in certain ways. Some have a really sensitive, weak conscience. Some have strong conscience. Some everything bothers, some nothing. But then you begin to equate that with the voice of God. You may have a conscience that condemns you about every little thing. And often those that have experienced trauma in their lives have a very sensitive conscience. And they equate that with the Holy Spirit. But we've got to know that there's a difference. Often those that have experienced trauma deal with false guilt, blaming themselves for things that they had nothing that was not their fault. It was not their fault. They didn't consent to it. But yet, their conscience has been shaped in such a way that they think it's their fault. That's not the Holy Spirit. We must understand that our consciences are not the same conviction that the Holy Spirit provides. The Holy Spirit was only convict of those things that we are responsible for. False guilt is the result of an uninformed conscience or a weak conscience, not understanding the freedom that we have in Christ, not understanding that God is not out to condemn you. True guilt or conviction is a result of actual sin. False guilt can be the result of a conscience shaped by things in our lives. Satan would like for us to oppress us with false accusations. False accusations. But the Holy Spirit wants to prepare us for service. Satan wants to take you out of service. Okay? Satan wants to paralyze us. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us. Romans 8, 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation of the which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So the solution is knowing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Number three, know your identity in Christ. Know your identity in Christ. Get your identity and value from God's Word and not the world. Get your identity from God's Word and not the world. This is so important. The world loves to put labels on everybody. You're in this group, you're in that group, you're in this group. There's no groups in, in God's uh, house. We're all, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. There's no, there's no levels, there's no classes, there's no sex. If you're a child of God, you're equal. If you don't know that, come see me afterwards, I'll show you in the Bible. There's different roles, by the way, but equal. This is so important. I hate this phrase. If, you, if you've been around me very much, I hate this phrase. And I'll tell you if I hear it. Your life is ruined. What kind of hogwash is that? I hate that. I hate that. I don't want to hear that from No Christian should ever say that to another Christian. Oh, your life's ruined. And I don't like this either. I don't like teaching folks that don't do this because it'll ruin your life. That's not the reason we don't do stuff. 
The reason why we don't or do stuff is for the glory of God. That's our motivation. It's not to avoid pain for myself. Christ suffered pain to purchase me. I belong to him. So my motivation is to please him, not to avoid suffering because of sin. Because what happens? You teach people that, you teach them that, hey, don't do that sin because you'll suffer for it. But then they suffer and they're not doing that sin and they still suffer. They go, well, God is unfair. He never promised you a life of ease if you don't do certain sins. You can live a great life and still suffer. Just ask Job, a righteous man. You've got to understand that. Don't teach your kids that God is going to bless and curse you based on your performance. Sure, our time, sure our time on earth is short, but we don't live for this world. If you've got a, a vision for your life and it doesn't happen, and you become defeated because something's happened to you, you forgot that this life is eternal. You will live for eternity if you're a child of God. Don't listen to those people. They will lead you to no hope instead of the hope of the gospel. Our hope is found in the gospel. It's not found in this world and things that we see. It's found in the gospel. It's found in the resurrection that one day we will all be resurrected, either either our bodies after death or the rapture. They'll say things like, they are the victim of, fill in the blank, abuse. You're a victim. Don't listen to it. You're an alcoholic. You're a drug addict. You're on and on and on. Whatever label you want to put on it. I don't even like the term survivor. Why? We're not simply saved to survive, but to thrive and live in victory through the truth of the gospel. There are not different types of Christians, okay? Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptizing to Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Ye are not what others think or say about you or even how you view yourself. You are what God says you are. And here's what he says. He says, you are beloved. He says, you are his child. He says, you are a new creature. He says, you are his workmanship or a masterpiece. He says, you are a joint heir with Christ. He says, you are, have a home in heaven. He says, you are his friend. He says, you are his ambassador. He says, you are exceedingly loved by him. That's who he says you are. Do you believe that? Or have you listened to what others say about you? The devil would love for you to run from God, but you need to run to God and send him running. Don't associate with those that are going to tell you that stuff. I often think when I see someone struggling in a trial, and pastors heard me say this, maybe you have too. Well, someone's really struggling. They're really struggling with the issues, maybe struggling. I say, you know what? They need the real thing. They don't need this surface Christianity. They need the real thing. 
the depth of Christianity. So what does that mean? They need a dynamic, growing personal relationship with Christ that is not developed by feelings, but rather is informed by truth and depth of understanding through knowing Christ as he is revealed in Scripture. Your feelings will lie to you all day. And too many times Christians are living by their feelings and not by the truth of God's word, of who he says you are. Well, I feel like a loser. I feel like uh, I can't do anything right. I feel like this. I feel like that. That is not coming from God. And this should be true for all of us, that we have a dynamic, growing, personal relationship with Christ, not by feelings, but by truth and depth of understanding through knowing Christ as he is revealed in Scripture. Oftentimes that's not true for us. Because some have learned that they can perform. I don't have to put in the time in God's word. I can perform. There's nothing bad going on in my life. You know, I'm getting along just fine. What do I need to... I don't, I'm not desperate. It's a problem. You're not desperate. You need to be desperate. However, those that have suffered cannot put on a performance. They can't fake it. You can see it. They try. They need the real thing. By the way, the real thing is always better than the fake. The real thing is always better than the fake. So if you have suffered, that's terrible. But then you gain a real, genuine, honest relationship with Christ. So you've suffered, but because of that suffering, it leads you to run to Christ. And you, you grow, and you gain a deeper, trusting relationship with Christ. And that's what you've gained, a real, genuine, honest relationship with Christ. Let me tell you this, you are blessed beyond measure. You are blessed. You're blessed with the riches of Christ, and are much better prepared for the return of Christ in eternity than those with the superficial relationship. Philippians 3, 7, what, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yet doubtless, I, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, through whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. What Paul is saying is, I gave up everything of worldly value, a perfect life, a, a name, okay, for the most excellent thing of knowing Christ. If you have that, you have everything. Anything that drives us to a deeper knowledge of who Christ is and who we are in Christ is a good thing. The world doesn't think that way. This is terrible. But if it drives you to a deeper relationship with Christ, it's a good thing. You could, you could say, well, I lost this because of what happened to me. Or you could say, if it were not for what happened to me, I would have never known Christ the way I do now. Do you value, do you value that? 
By the way, I don't say this as someone that hasn't suffered. It's true. Do you value Christ? Do you value that relationship above all? Is everything else a distraction to your time in God's Word? Or is God's Word a distraction to everything else? Know that God wants you, number four. Number three was know who you are in Christ. Know, get your identity from, from what God says, from who He says you are. Number four, know that God wants you to be an overcomer. Know that God wants you to be an overcomer. 1 John 5, 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Faith is knowing God. Faith is knowing God. There's nothing more important than having a proper view of God. There's nothing more important in your life to have a proper view of God. We have a Satan. We have Satan in the world who wants to distort the view of God because he hates God. But God wants us to know what's going on. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants you to be an overcomer, no matter what's happened to you. But He wants you to know some things. He wants you to know these things. He wants you to believe these things. We need God's Word desperately. Are you spending time in it? Are you looking? Do you have answers? This, in this time that we've had, this, there's, there's a whole lot more, okay? This could be weeks and weeks and weeks of lessons. You've got to spend time in God's Word. That's where we need to get our information, not from the world. Let's pray.